Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So we're going to be talking about kingdom paradigm. There's a couple of uh, definitions of what a paradigm is. I don't know if you guys know, know what a paradigm is, but... Um, there's a, you don't have to take notes, but Lance here. No, we're not going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about the other, the other definition of paradigm. Is this what the theology professor meant by reigning paradigms? One guy says, he says, the other guy says, I don't know, but at this point in the semester, I'd be happy even if it was raining a, a pair of nickels. <laughs> yeah. Paradigm, paradigms. Come on, we got one more. What could the professor have meant by a paradigm shift in ministry? It's obvious. You should put twenty cents in the offering plate at the church. Paradigms, twenty cents. <laughs> Such a dad joke. <laughs> hey, come on. I'm a dad. I can tell dad jokes. And a grandpa. And a grandpa. I haven't figured out the grandpa jokes yet. They're just cornier. So what really is a paradigm? It is one, one that serves as a pattern or a model. So it's an it's a accepted structure of things. Two is a set or a list of all the inflectional forms of a word, which that's the linguistics. Um, that's not really going to be pertinent. The third one is really what I'm going to touch on. And it is a set of assumptions, concepts, or values and practices that constitute a way of viewing reality for the community that shares them, especially in an intellectual discipline. So what a paradigm is, is your ideas and beliefs that you hold, they inadvertently create walls in your mental capacity. They, they, and, and, it's, and you can't really, and it helps you structure how you analyze things. It's a set of ideas and beliefs that form mental barriers that govern how we reason things, our reasoning process. And to break free from those, you have to have like a complete shift in your paradigm. Your paradigm has to change for those mental boundaries to change. So the word talks about two different mindsets in many, many places. This isn't a new concept. It might be some new verbiage to some of you, but the concept is very much um, new, and I'm, I have to set my screen time out because it keeps timing out on me, sorry. I'm not checking, checking my text messages, I promise. Unless they're from Mama Addie, then, <laughs> then make sure you check it. And then I'll check them. So the Word talks about these two separate mindsets, or these two separate paradigms. And we're going to go ahead and, and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That, that chapter really speaks a lot about your mindset. What version are you going to read it from? New King James. Well, we'll just start at uh, six. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age. So right off the bat, we have two separate sets of wisdom. We have the wisdom of the age and the wisdom that he's speaking among, or speaking of. Nor the rulers of this age. So the ones that are, the ones that are in power in the world. So not only is it the world, but those in power of the world who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So there's the wisdom of the world, and there's the wisdom of God. Those are the two paradigms that we are still, 
today, and it's subject to. We're the, we have the world paradigm and the, what we now call the kingdom paradigm. So we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. So this wisdom, this kingdom paradigm, is the true paradigm. This is the one that supersedes the world. This one's before the world, before our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, Eyes, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the, into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to them, those who love him, to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So through the spirit, we have this wisdom of the kingdom paradigm. So these things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the mature man does not receive the things of the Spirit, the natural man, sorry, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So if you're walking in the world paradigm, this, the natural mindset, you can't understand the spiritual mindset. You can't understand the spiritual king, uh, paradigm, the kingdom paradigm. So that in itself makes it difficult. Where's the transition? How do you get from one to the other? Because we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're subject, we're surrounded by the world, which is run by a, one paradigm, one thought process, but we're called into another thought process. We're called into another paradigm. So it's not an easy transition by any means. The Holy Spirit has to do it. But he who judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what does that mean to have the mind of Christ? It's, there's, let's uh, show up the next slide, there, Lance, what's the next slide? So we have to change from one way of thinking to another, okay, paradigm shift. Um, I have to find what the next slide is. And it wasn't as prepared as I thought. And I thought my wife would interject a lot In, more. Well, so. <laughs> you should have heard her at the house when I was trying to explain this to her. I was preparing you. That's different. <laughs> I, was, I was getting you ready. <laughs> so you can look at it from all kinds of angles. But I will say this. What, what is the mind of Christ and in, in, in that shift? And, and something that I, I love so Bill Johnson did a teaching. He's, well, he's done dozens and dozens of teachings on the mind of Christ and the renewed mind. But the same word, transformed mind, in Romans 12, 2, is the same word, transfigured, in Luke 9. So I want to give you a, a picture of when we have the renewed mind, when we have that shift, it's like... It's a brilliant transformation, brilliant transformation. I almost want to use the word violent. It is not passive. It is not, um, it is not an, an easy thing that happens. It is an instantaneous transformation. It is brilliant. And 
the Lord just kept telling me, Alicia, it's almost violent what takes place in your mind in the spirit world. It is violent, but it's a beautiful violent. But the thing that, that it takes time for us to understand that shift. It's a Romans 6, 7, 8 of your mind. So as the Holy Spirit leads, we start walking out that transformation. But I want us to just picture our mind, just that violent, brilliant transformation. So it's just, it's really good. Um, because that transformation refers to the permanent state to which a change takes place. So it's an instantaneous change. Anyway, okay. Did you find your slide? Yes, I can see where we're at now. So, there's some more scriptures, though, that we're going to read that talk about our mindsets. Just so you can see that this is very well written about in the Word. This is not... You can't get away from it. Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says... For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this world paradigm, this carnal mindset leads to death. That's why we have to change. That's why, that's, what, that's the driving force for us to change from this world paradigm to the kingdom paradigm. Why do we, and this isn't something new. This has happened, this isn't just in the kingdom. This isn't just when you're saved. There have been paradigm shifts throughout history of mankind. Um, one, one of the most, I would say one of the, the most popular ones in recent centuries is, has to do with this picture here. So this, is, this was an accepted paradigm. This is what everyone in the world thought it looked like. This, is, this was our universe. It explained everything we saw. But there was a shift in the paradigm, and now today it looks like this. So that was a huge shift in understanding our, our, the reality. But did you know that there, the math works with this model still? There's no physical evidence, proof I should say, that this is not true. Exactly. If it's easy, people won't think about it. But this is now accepted. Even though you can't physically prove it, it's been accepted because of what we see around us. There's evidence that this is probably the model. But this is a paradigm shift in the world. Let's read more about the uh, mindset in Scripture. Um, Colossians 3.10. And something too about Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death. It also means spiritual death as well. You can be saved in the Lord, and if you don't have that transformation, you're just going to be spiritually dead, and you're never going to fulfill any purpose or calling in the kingdom. So the death is a double-edged sword there, which is a lot of what we see today, which is why the church is in the state that it's in. But it's arising and it's awakening. Amen. So Colossians 3.10 says, we have to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
So again, it speaks to this, king, this kingdom paradigm that was bestowed upon us by the Father. So I'm gonna try something. I don't know if it's gonna work. It'll work. But I'm gonna try it. It will work. I'm gonna try it. Okay. So I'm gonna show you, okay. I have a picture, I'm gonna show you a picture of a young woman who is looking away from us off in the distance, okay? Okay. Now I'm gonna show you a picture of an old woman who looks very downtrodden and she has a very large nose. So it's really the same picture, but depending on what you're looking for, what your paradigm is, the information you're given will change what you see. So, so you can see the same thing as someone else, but interpret it completely different. So that's kind of what gives us the freedom to walk in a kingdom paradigm surrounded by people who are caught in the world paradigm. Because it, it's true for us. It's what we see. They see something different because their construct is different. So it's also true in the church, though. It's not just the world against the church. There's two different paradigms of the church here. We have the consumer church. The church is seen as a dispensary of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed. That sounds like a good thing. To have their needs met through quality programs and to have professionals teach their children about God. That stuff sounds good. And I go to church. That's the paradigm. I go to church. There's also the missional church. And it's a body of people sent on a mission who gather in community for worship. Community engagement and teaching from the word in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. That paradigm is I am the church, which fosters growth in the kingdom. And advancement. And advancement. It's, it's number two. I am the church. But it's a separate paradigm. They both see the same things, but they receive them differently. And you can't really say that there's, there's anything wrong with going to church. But when you're talking about the church, it's a very interesting place. Because it's caught between two paradigms. It's where the world paradigm and the kingdom paradigm meet, really, because people are coming from the world looking for something different. They're coming from the world looking for salvation. And they come here, and they meet people who are in the kingdom, who can raise them up, who can disciple them, who can heal their wounds, who can... So there's two paradigms meeting at the church. So that's why it's important, I think, for us to understand that there are multiple ways to see things, that somebody might not be in the same paradigm as you, but who, what are we here for? We're here to usher them into the kingdom, right? And however you see the meeting place of the church, it can be within the four walls of the building or it can be outside the four walls of the building because when you are the church, you're intersecting with the kingdom, at the grocery store, at the beach, at the airport, and that intersection is still taking place. Right, because as we saw, there's two ways to look at the church. Either you're going to church, so that means that the paradigms meet in this building, or you are the church, which means that paradigm meets where wherever you are, you wherever you step. So, Lance, can you scroll that down so I can see those again? Thank you. 
So the, par- the church is caught between two paradigms. Now, there's a scripture about being caught between two paradigms. So this is a warning for us in James 1, 6 through 8. James 1, 6 through 8. Yes. I'm sure you're all familiar with this scripture. But it says... <laughs> for those of you that can't hear online, she said, it's an ouchie. <laughs> but let him ask in faith with, that, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. There's that violence we're talking about. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So there's the two minds in one person. That's one person who cannot relinquish the world paradigm and accept the kingdom paradigm. That's somebody caught between two thought processes. And that's where the danger is because you won't receive anything from the Lord. You, you'll be tossed to and fro. Um, we were discussing tossing, and I was like, think about all the stuff that gets tossed around during a tornado and hurricane. It is violent. It, is, it causes death and destruction and chaos. And I'm sure you can think of people right now in your life that are saved, but they haven't submitted and yielded. And so their life is constantly in chaos and turmoil, filled with destruction, filled with that chaos. And that's, that's a picture of that. I think sometimes we think, oh, we're just gonna toss, it's just tossing, tossing the ball. No, it's gonna mess you up. So it's very, so if you ever come across people that you need to mentor and, and disciple, and, and they're always, I always, we always start with that. Every single time the Lord says, begin with the transformation and renewing of their mind. And you just encourage them in that. You teach them through your own testimonies. It is about that transformation of the mind so that they can make the choices they need to make to get out of that. So how do you get to that? How do you get free from that world paradigm into this kingdom paradigm? to this new thought process? Well, you have first you have to make a choice. Choice, 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 free will. Everything bows to the name of Jesus except our will. You have so it to starts make, with a choice. You have to make the choice. Are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to surrender your will? Because it's not just oh, I'm just going to start looking at this different. No, it, the, the, being in the kingdom, the kingdom paradigm is literally an exercise in submitting your will to the Lord daily. The Pharisees were the most scholared individuals on the planet. They read, they, they could recite the word backwards and forwards. Reading the word doesn't necessarily renew or transform your mind. You can, be, you can do all the stuffs. You can do all the stuffs. It's not about the stuffs. <laughs> so one once you make that choice how do you how do you see the world well the bible becomes a lens it becomes a lens that you interpret the world through so you have to be in the word we've been talking about this in kingdom men for four or five weeks now about meditate how important it is to meditate in the word because in that meditation on the word in that regularly exposing yourself to the character of god of the father when you know who he is without a doubt, then you know that he's with you and you know when you walk through things that all things are possible, even the impossible, what seems impossible are possible. But that starts with meditating his word. So the word is that lens that you see the, wor- the world for, through. And meditating on the word from that posture of I am surrendering my will. Lord, I am here. I am here to be washed in your word. I'm here to be changed. I'm here to be renewed. I'm here to be transformed. I submit my words, my actions, my thoughts to you, and I need you to renew every part of my thoughts, my words, and my actions. That's what I do anyway. The second thing you'll find in the word, and that is that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. 
And revelation so, revealer. And revelation revealer. So when you have the word and you are and you're adherent to what the spirit is teaching you, your mindset starts changing. Your your reaction is changing, how you view things, your there's four different things that we're actually going to be talking about this paradigm shift. This is just an introduction to what a paradigm is. But there's actually four different things that we're going to focus on. And the first one we're going to focus on is leadership. How leadership in the kingdom looks different than leadership in the world. The second thing we're going to focus on is marriage. How a kingdom marriage is wildly different from a world marriage in the world. And we would know. <laughs> We've suffered through both of them. <laughs> the third that we're going to cover is um, business and the marketplace and how that looks different in, uh, from a kingdom perspective, a kingdom paradigm, versus what the world is, has been uh, promoting and what their paradigm says. And the fourth one is relationships and communication. So just, uh, just for an example, um, leadership in the world is something that people seek after. They strive for it. They're like, I'm going to lead this. I want this power. I want this position. I want this. And the world says, yes, that's what you should do. You should desire those things. You should go after those things. You should fight for it. That's, that's the world paradigm. But the kingdom, leadership is given. Moses didn't fight for his leadership. He didn't seek after his leadership. He ran from it actively. Like He didn't want anything to do with it, but the Lord gave it to him for a purpose. Many of them ran from it and grumbled and complained about it. Yes, and we're going to talk about more of them here shortly. I'm just using this as an example. So so you can see the difference between the leadership paradigm and the world paradigm. Um, Now, the marriage paradigm, the marriage in the world is getting way off track. You know, what marriage stands for, what, what it was created for. We, I mean, that's not, we don't really need to go into how off base the world's paradigm of marriage is. The kingdom paradigm in marriage. She's afraid, I think, to say something now. I was just going to say that more so than ever now, kingdom marriage needs to be Elevated, yes, it needs to be in the forefront. Restoration of family is everything in this age, and um, and the in the kingdom example of what a healthy marriage and family looks like is is ex- it's just it's it's on the father's heart, big Definitely. time. It is part of his major agenda. Mm-hmm. So yes, and it's not. I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think that there's enough examples. Well, we're um, going to talk about it. Yes. Especially because so many marriages in the kingdom started off in the world. Um, or so many marriages started off in the kingdom in a place where the wife wasn't able to lead. And she was always in the nursery or in the kitchen. And, and it's very, it looks very different than that. So it's, yeah. it's being reborn and restored. So we're going to dig into that. And just uh, for you guys, it's not going to be pretty. I'll get ready. Well, it's going to be nice for you guys. I'm just saying it's not, it's not pretty for the men. Um, the next is business, business and marketplace. So I had the experience of dealing with uh, a brother in Christ who literally said to me, this is business. It's not it's separate from the kingdom. And that was like, that's, that's the double-mindedness. That's a double-mindedness. If, if, it's, if it's okay in business, then it, or if it's okay in the kingdom, it has to be okay. If it's vice versa, you know, they have, you're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if, if it's both, then you're struggling. And you have, to, you have something to work on. So, 
you either have a godly character or you don't. So we're going to talk about that. And achieving, I don't know, I guess building in the marketplace and building in business looks different because I've, I feel like a lot of people have even, I've heard stories of, of people actually make signing contracts with the devil, you know, in business and in industry and in the marketplace. Like there is some serious, some serious stuff that you have to sacrifice to get places in the world by the world's paradigm. But the kingdom paradigm is different and we'll establish the differences there too in the future. And then relationships and communication. Um, a lot of that has to do with humility and just honoring your brother. What, what, what are you doing in love? Because even if you feel justified, you have to be able to do it in love. And what I've learned is that Anytime I feel justified, I'm wrong. <laughs> That's my own experience. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're going to talk about leadership. Actually, one more thing. I asked uh, Alicia a question yesterday. I said, can you describe the kingdom paradigm in one statement? And, and ask I want, a woman to say something in one statement. I want, like I want you to hear. Words. I want you to hear what her statement was. I told you to write it down. I didn't write it down. No, she didn't write it down. Well, if I asked you again, what would it be? Well, I used a little bit of it earlier. Um, the the difference in the kingdom paradigm? No, if you had to describe the kingdom paradigm in one statement, what would it be? Oh, if, ooh, okay, Holy Spirit. If I had to describe the kingdom paradigm in one sentence, what would it be? It was what I said earlier. It would, it would be every word, every thought, every action submitted to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, so that he can work through me, so that I can look more like Jesus every step that I go, every day that I am alive. That's pretty close to what you said. That's about half of what you said. That's good. That's good. I said, not my will, but yours be done. There's, there's a difference, but it's even between men and women, there's a different paradigm, right? And the meaning's the same. So I think, uh, so we're going to go ahead and dig into leadership tonight. Um, a, a good place to start in leadership is Matthew 20, 25 through 28. So Jesus really modeled for us what leadership in the kingdom looks like. So most of... Uh, most of what we're going to cover is going to be Jesus' own words in leadership. He says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give himself life, his life a ransom for many. So, that in itself already flips what the kingdom leadership looks like versus the world leadership. Because every time you, you, they talk about the Gentiles, it's the people that are not God's people. It's the people that are outside of the kingdom. That's basically what the Gentiles represent. They represent the rest of the world. So he already says, he already sets a precedent of how backwards leadership in the kingdom is from what it is in the world. We had discussed just a few minutes ago not that the leadership is not taken but given. Um, here's some more people 
in the in the scripture that became great leaders that did not seek leadership but were given leadership. Um, so Abraham, Abraham was was blessed and told by God what he what he would carry as a leader. He didn't his his he didn't seek after he didn't seek after conquest. He didn't seek after his lineage. He was blessed through his faith and given that lineage by God. We talked about Moses already. He ran from it, but the Lord used him and gave him the leadership that he had. Well, what I thought was interesting is that when Moses went up on the mountain, Moses left Aaron in charge, okay? It doesn't say that Moses prayed and the Lord said Aaron should be in charge. It says that Moses left Aaron in charge. So he wasn't necessarily anointed by God to be a leader. And what happened? And chaos erupted, right? So if you're not being called into leadership by the Father, there can be serious repercussions. Um, what about David? David was a young boy out in the field, out, you know, herding his sheep. He wasn't, he didn't have aspirations of kings and warriors, and he was, he, if, if, if Simon hadn't come along, or Samuel hadn't come along, you know, what would his, what would his life had led him into? You know, it wasn't what he was called into. The Lord reached down and gave him this leadership, called him into this leadership. One of my favorites is Peter that Jesus prophesied to Peter that he would build his church upon that rock. And I know there's a lot more to the word rock, but I love that he said that even in the midst of Peter's brokenness and knowing that he was going to deny him. I just, and I love that that's such a beautiful example of leadership. You'd be going, that boy don't deserve to lead anybody. He's fixing to deny Christ, and yet, he, and he was one of the greatest leaders. That's right. And then we have Gideon. Gideon was hiding in a cave. I love Gideon. <laughs> I love him. He didn't want anything to do with it. He said, are you kidding me? You can't be serious. You can't be serious. All right, I'm gonna, if you're serious, I'm gonna ask you to do something wild because I know you can't do it. That's how we got here, by the way. That's right. Fleeces. But it wasn't something he was seeking after, but look how great his leadership became because he was called into it. So leadership's not taken but given in the kingdom. Leadership is not ruling or domineering in the kingdom, it's serving. And that's what we read here at Matthew about um, the Gentiles lorded their authority over, over people. But Jesus said, let them be your slaves. He did not come to be served, but to serve. That's something that I really love about this church. I don't know if you guys know this, but this church sets a really good example of what it means to be a servant leader. Your elders are the ones that are plunging the toilets. I'm just going to be candid here. It's, your worship leaders are the ones that are vacuuming the floors and mopping the floors and throwing all your trash away. Your pastors are the ones that are out painting the curbs and painting the the concrete dividers in the parking lots and, and putting up lights, yard work, you know. And serving others on their one day off. <laughs> so leadership in the kingdom is a serving position. It is not a position, you know, you look at somebody in, in leadership in the world and they're, they're looking for people to put under them. They're looking for people to lessen their load. They're looking for people to do the tasks that is, are beneath them. That's, that's, just what it, that's just what the world leadership is. Um, 
they call it grunt work so that you can earn your place. You have to earn your place, right? So let's see, Matthew 20. In Mark 10, he says the exact same thing. So um, let's read Mark 9, 35. There's a lot of scripture tonight, sorry. It's beautiful. That's where it's all at. That's church. the gospel. Don't be sorry. <laughs> That's the gospel. We are the church. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and serve servant of all. Mark nine thirty-five. She looked confused. So these are the 12. These are the ones that he's preparing to create a paradigm shift. These are the leaders of the new age. And he's telling them they need to be prepared to be servants of all. I also... Holy Spirit, I just, I also feel like um, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. I think that just my own personal thought right now is that that also means those that are very young in the faith, that are still on, you know, on bottles. Um, I think, I think he's talking about that there too. Um, very, very young in the faith that are still very much looking like the world and so they can look unruly and that maybe you don't want to serve them because they're not worthy. They're not, they haven't earned that right yet. They haven't cleaned up enough yet. I don't know, it's just a thought that came to me right when, when you read that. So I just wanted to share it. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your revelation. Let's read John thirteen four through 14. He rose from supper and laid his garments, took up a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel from which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered to him saying, what I am doing, you do not understand now but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have not no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Let, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one's one another's feet. So he really set us an example of what leadership is in a servant, serving position. It's not a ruling position. It's not a domineering position. And one last uh, scripture on servant leadership, Luke twenty-two twenty-six. He says, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who, who serves. So he's just reiterating that servant leadership. So all the gospels, 
Christ is, has, there are passages about servant leadership, what a leader is supposed to serve those around them. It's not to lord, lord any kind of authority over them. Uh, leadership is not positional, but functional. Leadership is not positional, but functional. What do you think that means, Alicia? I like your definition of it better because it's so much easier. <laughs> no, when, when, he first, um, when he first asked me that, positional, not functional. Not, fun not positional, but functional. Yes, sorry, not positional, but functional. I always, I just immediately had this picture of you're in a position of authority in the world. It's all about your position and the authority and the power that that position plays so that you can dictate. It's more of a dictatorship, which was immediately where my head went. And also because I've unfortunately worked for a lot of dictators. So maybe that's why I went there. Um, that it, it's not at all a functionality. In fact, they take all the credit for what everybody else does and they just bark a lot of orders. So that was how I perceived it. I think that's accurate. I think that's what positional means. Um, but not, not, not positional, but functional. So my thought process on what a functional leadership means is it fills a necessary place. It's something that needs to be there for something to happen. It's not, it's not that the person there needs to be in charge, but that there needs to be someone to direct. There needs to be someone there, so it's functional, not positional. Um, and Israel was a great example of leadership being functional, not positional, because the Lord didn't set it up for them to have a king. It wasn't a function that, that was needed. He set it up for them to have judges, which didn't have the same stature and power as what a king would have, right? It was there more of a mouthpiece of the Lord. And, but Israel wanted so much for themselves to have a king, but that's not that. So, so they wanted that position filled. It's not that they needed that position filled, and it wasn't functional in the in the government that God created for them. But they desired it so much that He gave it to them. And look what happened. <laughs> but also it, with this positional concept of leadership, what do we see today in our own government? We see people creating more and more leadership positions. The government continues to grow bigger and bigger. There becomes more and more people in charge, and, and it be, starts to become what we've seen to be this top-heavy government, where there's five administrators and one worker, you know? I, I don't know if you guys have seen the picture. I, I should have got a picture of it, but you see like a, a road crew and there's one guy with a shovel and there's five guys standing around the hole. All those people have been seeking after this leadership, this authority, and they've achieved it. They've convinced others that they deserve it. And now there's one guy in the hole with the shovel. I would never fly in Alaska, by the way. <laughs> But that's the positional leadership versus the functional leadership. Really, you only need one guy to make those decisions. That's really good. Um, leadership is not exalting, but it's humbling. This is something that I think is so needed today because in the world, the stronger the leader you are, the better leader you are. So you have to have it all together, right? You have to have everything all together. Outside, perfect family, car, you know, a lot of it has to do with appearances, but so the stronger you are, the better leader you are, and it's the complete opposite in the kingdom. Paul is one of our greatest leaders, 
and he boasted in his weakness. The longer he was in the kingdom, the more powerful he was, the more anointed he was, the more he boasted of his weaknesses. And we need to learn how to be transparent and how to walk with each other in our weaknesses. And and showing, like I used to be so afraid of mentorship and discipleship because I was still a hot mess. And I there was so much work that needed to be done in me and I would react, I would fleshly react in certain ways and, and I didn't want to lead anybody when I was still behaving that way. And then the Lord came to me and he said, you have to teach them what it looks like to be renewed and transformed in your mind and the way that your behavior changes in that. You have to be transparent. That's part of walking with people. So the greatest leaders in the kingdom, I believe, are those that are weak and transparent and vulnerable with those around them so that they can show them how to walk through those sticky situations so that that you can show them how to walk through that transformation process. It's so needed today. Church, we gotta, we're all highly blessed and favored in God. No, I'm a hot mess today, and I'm gonna show you what it looks like to walk through this, because I'm gonna be really good next week, and we need to learn that process in between. Sorry, get off my soapbox. So in uh, Matthew, he talk, Jesus talks about this exalting leadership versus the humble, humble ones. Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they're sitting in the seat of power. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. There's the exalting. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So these are, these are leaders who are exalting themselves. And then Jesus says, but you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher the Christ, and you are all brethren. So he's like, cool it with your exalting. This is, he's humbling them. He's like, no, you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So that's the that's this perspective. That's how we approach the the leadership. Am I well? Am I seeking leadership, or am I just humbling myself, strengthening myself in the Lord? Am I, am I is my relationship with the Lord exalting me? And is that the is that the point? I mean. Is if you don't if you do it because you desire greater connection with the Father, He honors that. If you do it and desire exaltation, He humbles you for it. And uh, let's say one last scripture here. He also lets a lot of people do the Ecclesiastes too, as well, though, and to get all that they are after and desire, but to what end? It's a different image of of humbling there, but yeah. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, 
Let each esteem others better than himself. So we just read a dozen scriptures on leadership, and all of them are completely backwards from what the world says a leader is supposed to be. So, and it's important to know that everybody's leading somebody. Everybody has a sphere of influence. Every single person. A two-year-old has a leadership to one of his siblings. There is a sphere of influence for every single person. So we're not talking leaders. In You're all leaders to, yes, to someone. Yes. Every single person, whether you're in the kingdom or in the world, you are leading somebody. Do you have a brother or a sister? Do you have children? Do you have neighbors? Do you work? Do you have coworkers? Do you have, you know... A Facebook account. A Facebook account. There are people out there who are looking up to you, whether you see it or not. We're all leading in some, in some position, especially if we're walking in the kingdom especially if we're representing the kingdom. There's somebody out there who sees that light inside of you and wants it. Uh, you know, I, I truly believe that whoever comes and, and hears this really needs to receive it. We all, we're all being transformed and, and renewed. But I want to give you a picture. Daniel and I couldn't be more different. And um, I was asking him about the renewing and the transforming for him. And he said, you know, Alicia, for me, it's been an unearthing of how I've always wanted to live. It's been an unearthing of how his compass has always been pointed north to the Lord. He's always had an inner knowing of how he was supposed to live and behave. And, and he actually was trying to conform himself to the world around him. And I am the complete opposite. I was rotten to the core. And for me, it has been an undoing and a renewing of 33 years of living in the world where I am at his feet every day. Daniel's also at his feet every day, but for Daniel, it's an unearthing. It's, a, it's, it's being born. It's, it's like when Michelangelo would carve, he, you know, you, he got asked, how do you see what you're going to carve? And he said, I see what wants to come out. And he just unearths what's already there. So that's my husband. And I am the opposite. And so I believe that every single one of us, rep we're all represented by one of us here. You're either being unearthed or you're being renewed and you're being undone. And I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord or how little. I so encourage us all to just continue to seek that transformation and that renewing of your mind. We've only... I, just by seeking that one thing and submitting myself to him and Daniel said, we are entirely different people than we were three months ago. We are entirely different people than we were six months ago. I don't even recognize the girl that was up here a year ago, much less a year and a half ago. Because of that, the renewing and the transforming of our minds. And so I just encourage all of us, all of us to be completely changed and transformed by the end of this teaching. For some of us, more unearthing is going to happen. And for others, it's more undoing and more renewing. So we just thank you, Lord. Yes, thank Lord. you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So let's just close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for, for uh, what you're doing through this, this transformation, this renewal. We just pray you continue to give us revelation, give us all uh, guidance and direction um, into this paradigm. If there are things that we're still holding on to from this, the, the world or our old selves, help highlight those things for us, Lord, so we can break free, so they can be 
cut out so they can be removed from our hearts so that we can fully walk in the kingdom. We could fully walk in what you've prepared for us. We thank you, Lord. Give us the vision to see just the experiences around us in your lens through your, through your word and through Holy Spirit's teaching. Give us, give us that wisdom, Lord. We thank you just for your guidance and direction, for what your word says the kingdom is supposed to be, and for the, just for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.